Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining us online. My name is Jared Bryant, and I'm the pastor of Resurrection. And starting next Sunday, February 14th, we'll be gathering again in person at the Classic Center. And so if you are able to join us, we would love to have you there. Now, this morning brings us to the last week of looking at what we call the mission of our church. Our mission is what we believe is the primary work of this body of believers. Our mission gives direction and purpose to how we live together. And we've summed up our mission with three distinct words, gather, grow, and give. And we hope this is an easy and memorable way to capture what the historic Christian church has always been about. And one thing I hope has been growing as we've been talking about this becoming more clear is how our mission, that is how we live, is a direct outflow of who God is and what he has done for us. Those are integrally related. And this will be critically important for us for the final part of our mission, and that is giving. So a few weeks ago, I was able to spend some uh, some time with some good pastor friends at a house on Lake Burton. And Lake Burton, like many Georgia lakes, it's man-made. So in the 1920s, they looked at a section of the Tallulah River and they put a dam up at one point. Uh, backing up the water, it filled up a valley and it forms now what we know today as Lake Burton. And as we think about our lives, it's so easy for us to operate so much like a dam like that. Uh, coming from God, we experience such powerful love and mercy and healing and support and comfort and redirection and hope. But too often, all of that just stops there with us and stays there. And God's design for our lives is very different. We are not meant to be places where God's grace gets backed up and stops, but we are meant to be channels where God's grace enriches and brings life and flows abundantly through that's the heart behind this third part of our church's mission, that is give. And as we look at these few verses in the letter to the Romans, there, there are three different ways I want to look at what it means to live a giving kind of life. So first, I want us to look at the call to give. Second, I want us to look at the power to give. And third, the way to give. So giving, the call, the power, and the way. First, the call to give. The, the call is clear here. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, notice the call is not given to strangers, but to family, to brothers and sisters. And it comes with a genuine concern and a clear sense of, of urgency. This this word for I, I appeal or I urge or I plead is really the same word used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a coming alongside to help kind of love. And what we should hear in this is someone coming alongside of us out of love and genuine concern saying, this is what matters. This is the way to live. Uh, for some of you, this is going to sound very young. To some of you, this is going to sound very old. But this year, I will be turning 40. And for whatever reason, that's been on my mind a lot. And I'm not saying that I'm having a midlife crisis of any kind. My wife might say differently. But 
it's made me realize in a new way how limited my days are here and just how precious the time I have really is. And that realization has sparked a new question. What do I want to spend my life for? What do I want to give my time, my attention, my energies, which are limited and time-bound towards? What do I want to invest my life in? Over the past few weeks, there's been so much drama surrounding the stock market and hedge funds and short selling and renegade internet groups and struggling companies like GameStop. And it's, it's brought up this question of what we should be investing in. When you invest in a stock, you are giving some of what you have, in some ways, some of what you are with the hopes that you will get back more than you put in. That's basically how it works. If your life is one big investment, what are you pouring yourself into? What, what uses up your energy? What takes up your time? What fills up your attention? We are all, whether we like it or not, we are all investing all that we are in something or some things. And the call here is to invest all that we are in God. This picture of offering up ourselves as a living sacrifice as it communicates this sense of, of holding nothing back, of going all in. A few months ago, I had the privilege of having coffee with a young woman who attends a church in our area of churches called a presbytery. And she wanted to meet because she was seeking prayer and financial support to go to a remote country in East Africa to do what's called pioneer mission work. And pioneer work is basically going to a place where there is no established church community. So the city where she's going in numbers in millions of people, but the numbers of Christians are maybe in the low hundreds or maybe just dozens. Christianity is illegal for anyone to publicly practice in this city. Foreigners are expelled, nationals are thrown in prison or worse. But from the time that she was young, she was telling me that she always wanted to be a missionary. And so she even pursued training as a nurse specifically to be able to better go to where there is little to no witness of Jesus and his good news, to be able to offer tangible help to people in need. And she wants to go to this difficult place and stay there for the long haul, serving in the local hospital, working with a few others to try to bring the light of the gospel to what is actually a very dark place. So here is someone who is giving up so much. You could say her whole life entering into a very real hardship. But when I met with her, I didn't sense any dread or any any sense of self-pity. She was not going there because of guilt or pressure or anything else like that. It was clear that she was moved by a strange joy. There was love. There was something of such precious value that she wanted to share with others who had never heard of it before. So here was just a normal person who was gripped by something very special and she wanted to share it with others. When we hear the call to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices, it doesn't mean that we have to go across the globe or to the hardest places at the greatest cost. There, there are different wirings and there are different callings for each of us. But what it does mean is that if we are a Christian, our lives are about going all in with Jesus, of not holding back or being half-hearted, but with everything we are embracing this call to give. 
Now, second, I want to consider the power to give, because if we're honest, the call to give sounds very demanding. So why should we do it and how do we do it? I passed over an important phrase earlier that I want to add back in because it is really the key to a life of self-giving love. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When we read that small phrase, by the mercies of God, it means because of or on account of them, or as one translation says, in view of God's mercies. So for the 11 chapters leading up to this, we've been given this picture of towering mountains of God's grace, his patient love towards sinners, this sacrifice of Jesus, our forgiveness and new life, adoption as sons and daughters into his family, and this promise that nothing will separate us from his love and that we have a secure future hope. That's what has been building up that we have been seeing if you've been reading this letter. And verse 1 Here is the linchpin that holds it together with everything he's going to say after this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And so that in view of what God has done, this is how we are empowered and called to live. And now the question is, in light of what we see, what do we do? In light of what we have experienced, how will we respond? In other words, God has held nothing back, has gone all in, and Jesus has given his life with all that he is as a sacrifice for us. What does that now mean for how we live every day in every situation? Not in a what will you do to pay him back kind of way, but in a worshipful response, a response that says, I love you more than anything and It is the desire of my heart to live for you in all that I do. He says, don't be conformed to this present world and what it loves, but be transformed or renewed from the inside out by this love and grace and goodness. That is the first part of the power to give. That is like the nuclear reactor that is meant to motivate and sustain and energize a life of self-giving love. But the, the power that we are given uh, for a life of self-giving love is even more than that. There, there is a sustaining and an enabling power like gasoline in a car or wind for a glider or a river for a kayak. What we see in verses three through eight is God giving us the ongoing power to serve in the form of spiritual gifts. What these are are aspects of God's spirit divided among God's people to be used for the good of others. So Paul can say, I have been given grace to serve and you have been given grace to serve. How we serve may look different, but it all comes from God himself. And it's all meant to work together for the good of this body. And the picture here we are given in other places, that of an actual human body. While a body is one entity, it's made up of many parts, hands, eyes, ears, nose, teeth, feet, toes. And each part serves a specific purpose. But each part works together in conjunction with the other parts to live out an overarching single purpose. So it's not that my eyes and my feet are working for their own agenda. They are meant to work together so that I get to where I want to go. It's the same with a church, what is often called the body of Christ. 
So consider verses four through five. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us and we are to use them. So when I was in elementary school, they had what they called a gifted program, which they called Focus. And it was basically once a week, all the smartest kids or the gifted kids in the class would go to their own environment uh, to learn these special lessons. And the message was clear. Some kids are gifted and some are not. And I remember even taking a test to try to get into the gifted group. And it was full of word puzzles and other mental tasks that were much above my pay grade at the time. So I did not get in. The family of God operates very differently. There's not this discrepancy, this difference between those who are gifted and those who are not, those who are special and useful and those who are ordinary. Uh, If you belong to Jesus and you have the spirit of God in you, then you are gifted. And not in an everybody is gifted in the exact same kind of way. Some are gifted to teach, some to serve, some to encourage, some to give, some to lead, some to understand, some to shepherd, some to show mercy and meet needs. And what this means is that you have special gifts that have given by God. But what makes these gifts strange is that they are given to you, not so that you would just enjoy them, but that you would share them with others. The gifts you have been given are meant for other people. And so the question for all of us is simply, how are we using the gifts that we have been given for the good of those around us? We need each other. There is a beautiful diversity of gifting in our body, and we are all meant to work together that we might live a full and robust life of self-giving love together. And so what we see is that the call to give comes with the power to give, which brings us to our final point, the, the way to give. What does this look like in action? And what we're looking at in these few verses in verses nine through 12 is just one of many, many pictures the scripture gives. And what we see here is around 30 different specific directions of how we are to live. It's like a shotgun approach, giving us a wide smattering of examples of what this looks like in action. Now, you you should have already heard the ESV translation read, but I want to read from a different translation that speaks on a more street level. It's the New Living Translation. And here we read, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what's wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all you can do to live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. 
If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. A few verses later in the next chapter, Paul summarizes what all this means. He says, all the commandments are summed up in this simple message. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This past week, I finished reading The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, and it was one of the best books I've read in a long, long time. I highly recommend it. And it's the story of Corey Ten Boom's life told in her own words. And one of the things I love so much about it is while that her story is so extraordinary, she is just a very ordinary person who chose to love people right in front of her in very ordinary and simple and yet courageous ways. So she was a normal young woman who lost her mother early on, who wanted to be married, but her heart was broken by a young man who chose someone else. She worked with her dad in his watchmaking shop. She became the first female licensed watchmaker in the Netherlands. It's a very simple, ordinary life. But then her story takes a sudden twist when the Nazis invade her hometown at the beginning of World War II. And this turn of events leaves her with a choice. Do I provide a safe place for Jews to hide or do I ignore the need and just look the other way? So she takes a small step of courage and welcomes one Jew into her home. Then one becomes two. Then two becomes a family. Then a family becomes a group of Jews in hiding. And then this group becomes an underground network in her city that she is leading, providing places of refuge and meal tickets and other acts of provision. And then this underground network becomes a national movement spreading across the whole country from city to city. And at this point, it would be easy for her to think, I'm doing God's work. I'm giving my life for his purposes. Surely this means that it's going to be easy for me and nothing bad is going to happen to me or those I care about. But what, what she shares is that's not the case. She and her family are finally arrested for the good work that they are doing. They are taken to jail, transferred to prison, and transferred even to a concentration camp. And her father is going uh, to die early on in his captivity. But even woven through these dark hours are threads of light and hope. And one small example that hit me was when the two of them, the two sisters were talking about the prison guards at the camp and, and Corey was sharing just some frustration for how they were treating the inmates. And all she saw when she looked at this guard was just a cruel person. And as Betsy, her sister shared, it was clear that Betsy saw something different. Betsy saw a person trapped in hate, empty of meaning, in need of the love of God and the gospel of Jesus, and someone that she was called to love and pray for. Betsy would eventually die in that camp, but Corey would embody this heart and this legacy for the rest of her life. The way to give that we are shown is not treating others based on how they treat us or loving others based on how they love us, or giving to others based on what they give to us. The way to give is this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And that is the message of Jesus and his cross. The apostle John tells us, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And dear friends, if God so loved us, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There is a call to give, a call to go all in, to offer up all that we are, but the power to give comes from in being in view of the mercies that have been shown to us and being empowered by his spirit. And the the way to love is this pattern of self-giving love or summed up best in the words of Jesus, freely you have been given, freely give. Amen.